welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I don't know exactly when you're listening to this, but for me, I'm recording this at the end of April in 2021. It's still beautiful, warm weather here in Perth, although that's changing pretty quickly as we're moving into the middle of autumn. And uh, there's still a lot of uncertainty going on in our world. It's been more than a year now since the start of this pandemic. And as I've often said, the pandemic has created a triple crisis, a health crisis, an economic crisis and a social crisis. And, and Australia is still doing a really good job of handling the health crisis, especially compared to other parts of the world. But there's still an economic crisis and this is still a social crisis. And just because we're handling it well, uh, we're still part of a global community and we care about what's happening in the rest of the world as well. And there's still a lot of uncertainty here in Perth. We've just had a snap three-day lockdown, which, uh, which caused a lot of disruption. And it might not be the last of these sort of reactions that we see from governments around Australia uh, until we get through this pandemic. So today I want to talk about clarity. And especially for you as a leader, how do you give clarity to your people as you're navigating and leading them through this pandemic? And it's not enough to just say we can only plan ahead for as far as we can see. We need to plan further into the future, but know that we might need to change our plans as we go. So let's talk about clarity. In June 2020, early in the pandemic, there was some research done in the UK by King's College and Ipsos, and it surveyed UK residents, and, and many of them believe some bizarre conspiracy theories about the pandemic, which, if you remember, was pretty new at that time. So 30% of them thought that the virus was made in a lab. 30% of them believed that the government was deliberately under-reporting the death toll for their own reasons. Another 15% believed that the government was over-reporting the death toll. And uh, by the same amount, believed that the entire pandemic was this secret program to force people to be vaccinated. Now, this is just one of the many pieces of research that's come up since the pandemic started, showing how conspiracy theories um, not just spring up, but they thrive during times of uncertainty. And Karen Douglas, who's a social psychologist at the University of Kent, she explains that many people are more prone to believe and to spread conspiracy theories in times of uncertainty, simply because that belief in that conspiracy theory gives them a feeling of greater knowledge. And even if you and your team members haven't plunged into the abyss of bizarre conspiracy theories, people still feel unsettled and they still feel uncertain. And you just can't promise them certainty and safety because nobody can do that, but you can give them greater clarity. And clarity doesn't promise safety and it doesn't force you towards simplicity. It doesn't remove the fog that's ahead of us. It just helps you navigate more effectively through it. And clarity consists of three parts, reality, possibility, and priority. And that's what we're going to talk about. So reality is what is, and the world has changed. And the first step is to accept that and accept that as reality. So then you can understand how it operates now and it will operate in the future. The second stage is possibility, which is what could be. And that's looking at the people who thrive in change. They're the possibility thinkers. They're the ones who look at the big picture and they see the new opportunities created by the change, not just the threats and the obstacles and the risks. And the third area is priority, what matters. So among all those myriad possibilities, it's really important to get clear about which things to focus on and which ones you can safely ignore. So those are the three things we're going to talk about. Reality, what is, 
possibility, what could be, and priority, which is what matters. So let's look at reality. This is about accepting the reality of a new, changed and disrupted world. I remember many years ago when a Cocker Spaniel Jessie was young, we used to take her for exercise in a local park near where I lived. And the local council had zoned the park into two areas. And I remember there were signs all around the park showing that there was a blue zone and a red zone. In the blue zone, you could take your, let your dog off the leash and let her run around. And in the red zone, you had to have your dog on the leash. Now, these were clearly marked on signs around the park, but... The only problem was, between those two areas, there was no fence, there was no gate, and Jessie can't read. So, of course, when we let her off the leash, she just ran all around the park. And I remember thinking, that's exactly what disruption's like, and that's exactly what's happened to our world. And it's not only from the pandemic, but it's from many other disruptive forces. The dogs are already off their leashes, and it's silly to think that we can easily bring them all under control. And every individual, team and organisation adapts in their own way whenever there's face change and disruption, but there's one common thread that runs through all of them if they survive and thrive. They know the world has changed and they accept this new reality. So first, expect uncertainty. I've given many presentations over the last decade where I've asked leaders how they deal with uncertainty and I ask them, how well do you operate when the future is known? even if it's difficult, compared with how well they operate when the future is uncertain. And I also asked them to assess their team members on those two scenarios. And over the years, I've conducted these surveys in many businesses, many industries at different leadership levels. And overall, the numbers have varied slightly, but the pattern's consistent. So the pattern is generally, and not surprisingly, that most leaders rate themselves pretty high when they operate in a known future, even if it's a challenging future. It probably also doesn't surprise you that they rate themselves higher than their team. Now, also, in an uncertain future and uh, facing uncertainty, they rate themselves and their teams lower, but not significantly lower. In 2020, after the pandemic hit, I saw the same pattern, but there's one difference. They rated themselves and their teams much lower when operating in uncertainty because they've actually experienced it now. They experienced a major disruption and they realized that they weren't as good as they thought in leading themselves and their teams through it. Now, of course, these are just informal surveys in my presentations, and and I'm not claiming this to be rigorous science, but this does match what the research says about uncertainty and the unknown. And not only does uncertainty affect our emotional state now, it also makes it more difficult to plan for the future. And as soon as the future becomes cloudy and uncertain, many people flounder and they don't know what to do. So I admit that I'm starting on a slightly pessimistic note, but it's important because it's important to recognize this as reality. As much as you want to create clarity for yourself and your team, you must accept that it won't be easy. And I've worked with leaders and teams going through massive change and disruption, and the most successful of them realize that it's very different from anything they've experienced in the past. They accept that it's uncharted territory and many of their past skills and experience, they just don't apply anymore. If this is your first time experiencing this kind of disruption, the sooner you accept this as reality, the better. Next, let's accept VUCA. Now, some parents say that you don't know real pain until you step on a piece of Lego on the floor when walking barefoot from your bedroom to the bathroom in the dark in the middle of the night. 
Now, for many leaders, that's not a bad analogy when we're talking about leading in this fast-changing world. Except it's worse. At least with the Lego, you might have known it was there, you could have turned on the light, you could have felt your way carefully around it. But what if you didn't have any light? What if you're walking on slippery polished floorboards? And what if the Lego pieces keep randomly moving around the floor in the middle of the night? That's the reality that many of us face now. And we don't call it Lego, we call it VUCA. Volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. It's a term that was coined by the US military. And reality is VUCA. So first of all, it's volatile or brittle. So we think we can see what's ahead, but it doesn't take much to shatter that picture. It's also uncertain or slippery. We feel like we're always walking on shifting, slippery, shaky ground. It's complex, it's messy. Everything is connected, so a small change in one area can dramatically affect another. And finally, it's ambiguous, it's fuzzy. So even the things that we can see aren't clear. So it's tricky to get a handle on them. You can clear the Lego from the floor today, but it'll be there again tonight and tomorrow and the day after. And you can't wait until the children outgrow Lego or move out of home before making another midnight trip from your bedroom. So don't try to simplify the world around you. That's a battle that you can't win. In a brittle, slippery, messy and fuzzy world, in other words, a VUCA world, act anyway to gain clarity and confidence for the path ahead. Next, embrace chaos. Imagine that you're picking apples from a tree. How would you choose the best? You might think you you would definitely be using objective criteria and you evaluate them by things like the colour, the shape, the size, the texture, other such attributes, physical attributes. But research from University College in London suggests that there's one other important factor that we include and we include it subconsciously. How easy is it to reach the apple? In other words, the low-hanging fruit appears more attractive. And that's just natural. We're hardwired to choose the path of least resistance, which doesn't always serve us well, especially in a fast-changing, chaotic world. See, in stable or normal times, the future looks just like the past, maybe with a little bit more grey hair. And the path of least resistance might not be the best option, but it probably doesn't do much harm because there's no compelling reason to put in more effort. For example, our personal relationships might not be perfect, but we can tolerate them. Um, It's easier to put up with a few minor irritations at work than to look for a new job. You could spend less money on extravagances, but it's easier to kick the wealth management can down the road if you're not struggling for money. You might be overweight, but not obese. So you don't have to change your eating or your exercise habits and so on. So you tell yourself that it's easier to go along with what you've got rather than making the change. But that all changes in a more chaotic world because you can't rely on the future being similar to the past. Now, the path of least resistance is risky because it could take you into unfamiliar territory. It's like you're whitewater rafting in choppy waters and you can't use the same technique as when you're paddling a kayak in calm waters. The world simply is more chaotic and there's no point wishing that it wasn't. So instead of railing against that chaos, embrace it. Now, that doesn't mean that you're doomed to live your life lurching from one crisis to the next, but it does mean that we need new skills and a different attitude to operate in chaos. So when you feel overwhelmed, resist the impulse, natural though it is, to take the path of least resistance. Don't just default to doing what you've always done. Don't automatically discard difficult choices and don't just fill your time with unimportant work. Accept the chaos. 
face it head on and be prepared to work through chaos to find the calm that's on the other side. Next, look further. In 1953, the middle of the last century, philosopher Isaiah Berlin wrote a small but influential book called The Hedgehog and the Fox, and he took the title from an ancient Greece poet and what he wrote. And he said, a fox knows many things, a hedgehog knows one important thing. And what Berlin did was he classified leaders very broadly as either hedgehogs or foxes. So hedgehogs view the world through a single lens and foxes have a more diverse range of ideas and techniques. Now, he never really intended this metaphor to be taken seriously, but it was accepted and adopted in management and business circles and it spread rapidly and it became really popular. So we're not going to go into that in a lot of detail, but consider one specific application of this idea. When they're hunted, a hedgehog and a fox operate differently. A hedgehog does just one thing, curls up into a little ball and lies still. But a fox has many clever techniques to try and evade his hunters. So when you're facing a crisis or when you're facing uncertainty, consider both viewpoints. Now, by all means, protect yourself like a hedgehog. But if that's the only thing that you do by curling up into a little ball, you'll be overrun by external circumstances. On the other hand, if you're constantly running and dodging and hiding like a fox, it can become exhausting. So you don't have to choose either of these two extremes. Do both. Act like a hedgehog, but think like a fox. So acting like a hedgehog means that you understand the current reality. So plan to do whatever it takes to survive in the short term. At the same time, Think like a fox and look further ahead so you can stay flexible enough to accommodate changes and then you can thrive in the longer term. I should warn you that in uncertainty, many people naturally gravitate towards the hedgehog end of the spectrum. So if you want a broader perspective, fight that natural tendency and consider the fox's viewpoint as well. So one thing you can do is to ask better questions, fox-like questions. Let me give you some examples. You might ask, will this matter? three months or six months or one year from now? Or what will matter three months or six months or a year from now? You might say, what if the worst happened? How could we cope? Or what if the best happened? In other words, if this problem magically disappeared, what would we do? You could say, how would I advise somebody else to handle this problem? You could ask, how are other teams in our organization handling this problem? Or how are other organizations in our industry handling this problem? Or how are other industries handling this problem? You could speculate and say, what would happen if we did this wild and crazy thing, X, whatever it is? Or what would happen if we didn't do this perfectly reasonable thing, Y? So those are some of the questions that get you just thinking a little bit further than your current circumstances. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're fully immersed in a crisis, you need to give it your full attention. But even in that full-blown crisis, take time to apply your fox brain to it. As you start moving out of crisis, take an 80-20 approach. So you give 80% of your attention to the crisis because that's important and allow yourself 20% for looking towards recovery and growth. And as the crisis dies down and diminishes and recedes, gradually adjust that so you can increase the time that you give to your long-term FOX strategies. So that's about reality. Now let's look at possibility. I want you to scan wider for opportunity before you filter and narrow down for feasibility. Let's talk about self-driving cars because I've been interested in them for a while and I remember that 
about seven or eight years ago, I used to carry around a picture of one of Google's early self-driving cars. And I would show it to many people and I was interested in their reaction. And many people at the time hadn't heard about self-driving cars. So when I explained what they were, it was interesting to see the there were two extreme reactions. And this is true even now. So if you ask people about the effect of self-driving cars in our society, some people are really sceptical. They point out all the drawbacks. They say the technology is not safe, that people will always want to drive, we need massive infrastructure changes to make it happen, and so on. Now, there are others who are more optimistic, and they point out the benefits of self-driving cars. Less traffic on the roads, fewer accidents, a lower death toll, more productive time because you're not spending all your time driving, and so on. Now, if you want to make a well-informed decision, don't get stuck in either of these extremes. You don't want to be like the Cassandra who sees trouble and doom at every turn, but don't be like the Pollyanna who just brushes away every obstacle as if it didn't exist. Both extremes are unrealistic when you're thinking about the future. So the sweet spot is the mindset of the possibility thinker who takes the best of both approaches for a better outcome. So the possibility thinker first scans wide so you can see many opportunities and then filters them through the lens of reality. And that gives you a wide range of plausible possibilities which you can then prioritize for action. So what does that take? Let's look at some things you can do. First, loosen up. There's a magazine called Innovation Leader, and it surveyed corporate leaders about the biggest barriers to innovation in their companies. And they identified three major factors. Number one, politics, turf wars, and a lack of alignment. So teams would discourage or sabotage each other's innovation efforts. Number two was cultural issues. So people who rock the boat are seen as troublemakers rather than innovators. And number three was the inability to act on external signals. So these are teams or organizations where even if you notice the signals and you know the right thing to do, the organization just isn't responsible enough or agile enough to act decisively on those signals. Now, that might just sound like I'm having a go at uh, corporate hierarchies. And, and look, let's face it, they have many problems. But the one silver lining is that in an uncertain and volatile environment, these obstacles are easier to overcome or at least to work around. Because when we face massive change, we, we just care less about rigid hierarchy and more about just getting things done. So look at internal politics and protecting your turf. Well, that becomes less important because we have to cooperate or there won't be any turf to protect. Then what about those troublemakers? We're more willing now to entertain those crazy ideas from troublemakers because they might just be what we need. And... We have to respond to external circumstances because business as usual just isn't possible right now. So I'm not saying that you should expect all the power struggles and the vested interests to fall away magically. Not at all. Not every door will suddenly be thrown wide open to you. But the point is that you don't need perfection before you can make progress. If the rigid constraints are even slightly looser, you've got more leverage now to explore new possibilities, to push at the edges and to enlist people to help you achieve your goals. So this is the best time to test boundaries, even those that seem rigid, to ask again, even if you turned down last time, and to step into uncertain places, even if they're a bit risky. Next, if we're talking about possibility, we need to think big. 
I remember, like many other people, during our strict lockdown early in the pandemic, we turned to doing jigsaw puzzles to wind away the time. You might have done the same. And if you enjoy jigsaw puzzles, you know some of the common tactics that people use to solve them. You might start with the edges, sort the pieces by colour, sort them by size or shape, tackle a difficult section together, work on different sections independently, and so on. But there's one thing that helps more than anything else, knowing what the final picture looks like. All of those little tactics are really useful, but the big picture shows how they need to work together to create the final product. And we live our lives in detail, hour by hour, day by day, week by week. And in crisis and uncertainty, we narrow our time frame even more. We're even more sensitive to small changes. We're more insular. We're more protective. We're less willing to take risks. So absolutely know the details so you can operate effectively each day, but also take time to look up and look out to understand the big picture. For example, if you look at the media, both traditional media and social media, they hook their audience with detailed stories that then lead into the broad concepts. So when I was interviewed a couple of years ago on TV about the challenge of feeding a global population of 10 billion people in 2050, the segment didn't start with that. It started with the story of me eating crickets at a local pub in Perth. Now, at least this was a fairly benign story to grab viewers' attention, but other lead stories aren't so benign. They're designed to evoke fear or anger, and the relentless bombardment of these stories distorts our big-picture perspective. And we need to be aware of that. Hans Rosling, a well-known TED speaker, the, the, the late Hans Rosling, points this out in his book Factfulness with positive global data that surprise many people because for many people their past exposure to so much detail has led to incorrect assumptions and the subtitle of the book is 10 reasons we're wrong about the world and why things are better than you think and I won't go into those reasons but you can read the book Factfulness and you can find it online and you can find the list of the reasons and it's really interesting because the world is getting better and has been getting better but we tend to focus on and hear the bad news because we don't think big. So regularly remind yourself and your team to consider the big picture and use that to guide your day-to-day operational decisions and actions. The next thing about possibility is to always remember the problem that you're solving. See, when you find a solution to a problem, you can use that solution the next time you face the same problem. And if it works again, you'll do it again next time and again and again and again, as long as it continues to work. And eventually it becomes a habit and you might be able to use it without even thinking about the problem that it was originally solving. Now, there's nothing wrong with that if the problem never changes. So if the problem never changes, you can mindlessly apply the same solution each time. But if the environment has changed and you're facing a new problem, the old solution might no longer apply. For example, during the pandemic, I was having a conversation over lunch with a friend of mine who's a smart, savvy senior leader in a large global organization. And she was talking about the difficulty of creating the the same sort of personal connection in an online meeting as she used to do in the past in an in-person meeting. And I pointed out to her that even though she had used in-person meetings in the past for building personal connection, an online meeting perhaps wasn't the best solution for that particular problem. And she said, oh, yeah, get it now. I know exactly what you mean. It's like me with celiac disease. I can't eat gluten. But when I go out to an Italian restaurant, 
I don't order gluten-free pasta because I think it tastes bland. So instead of a poor substitute, I look for other choices on the menu that I can enjoy. And that's exactly right. So instead of settling for a gluten-free solution, ask yourself what problem are we solving and then find a better solution. For example, if you run a weekly meeting with your team and it involves status updates from each person, could you achieve the same results without a meeting? You could with group email or regular chat using Slack or Teams, or you could have one-on-one conversations with each person. Even better, you could have a solution where everyone doesn't need to share their status updates with everybody else at the same time. They could, say, update their status on a dashboard that's accessible to anyone who wants to check it whenever they need to. So don't assume that the old solution, um, or even worse, the poor substitute to the old solution, is still the best option. Think really carefully about the problem that you're solving and then find the best way to solve it. And last in this area of possibility is to plan ahead. Now plan ahead, of course we always say plan ahead, but most people plan for the future by starting from where they are now and looking ahead. That's okay, but it tends to drag you in the direction of the most obvious outcomes based on what you know now, instead of what could truly be possible. And in uncertain times, this problem is magnified because we're even more inclined to think small. So if you want a better way to expand and extend your possible futures, start from the future and you get a broader perspective. Now, the two brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, have written an excellent book, Decisive, about decision-making, and they talk about a technique for better decision-making that I've adapted for this purpose of starting from the future. And I often use this process when I'm working with clients who are facing uncertainty and disruption in their industry. So what you do is this. First of all, choose three time frames for the future. And what you want is the short term, the medium term and the long term. Just as an example, you might say short term is 10 weeks from now, medium term is 10 months from now, long term is 10 years from now. Now imagine stepping into each of these future times and imagine your ideal life at each of these three points in time. And then again, imagine your future self looking back at you today and saying, Thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful for the decisions you made and the actions that you took 10 months ago, whatever time frame, that got me and us to where we are now. Then ask yourself, what are those decisions and actions that that future you is thanking you for? And then what do you do? You make those decisions and you take those actions. It sounds really simple, but this process gives you a different perspective for the future because it's one that that starts from the ideal future instead of starting from the chaos of today and also gives you an initial direction for making progress so that you're not stuck and not caught and paralyzed in uncertainty and indecision. Now, I'm not saying that this process is going to give you the perfect answers, but it guides you in the direction of action that is leading you towards your desired future. So you can use this process for yourself, and I recommend you use it for your team as well, so that you can all imagine an ideal future and act together towards creating that future. Let's talk about the third area, priority, which comes after reality and possibility. Priority is knowing what matters most so you can do what matters first. Did you know that Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg usually wears a grey t-shirt with jeans? Probably remember that former Apple CEO Steve Jobs always wore a black turtleneck sweater and American President Barack Obama always wore a black suit. Why? Why? Now, of course, this was part of making this part of their personal brand, 
but they also chose to spend their decision-making brain cells on more important decisions than what they would wear each day. We talked about being a possibility thinker, and that means that you find more options, which improves your choices. But that's not always the best thing. It's a double-edged sword, because all of those choices can overwhelm and confuse you, sometimes to the point of paralysis and inaction. That's why prioritizing options is essential, especially in this uncertain and volatile world. Now, there's some options that are easy to prioritize. There are some unimportant things. Get rid of them. There are some impossible things truly impossible. Get rid of them too. And there are some essential things. That's easy. You move them to the top of the list. But the real challenge comes with most options, the majority of options, that don't easily fit into any of these categories. So what do you do with them? Let's have a look at some things you can do. First, choose your time frames. You know the phrase comparing apples to oranges? So we use that to describe an unfair comparison between things that aren't similar. But in fact, Apples and oranges are similar in many, many ways. If you want a healthy snack, it's reasonable to compare an apple to an orange. On the other hand, if you have an apple right now and an orange tree that will only bear fruit in a year from now, you can't compare them as easily because their benefits accrue in different time frames. And this is really important because some goals and priorities operate in different time frames. If you have to choose between updating a safety procedure and developing a new product, they might both be important goals, but they operate in different time frames. So you can't just compare them directly against each other. So what you do is you sort your priorities into three groups before you rank them, short term, medium term and long term, and then broadly treat them as follows. So the short term things, I call this A to B or bit by bit change, and you can make small changes one step at a time. This is sometimes called continuous improvement, which can happen even daily. Medium term is A to G or goal oriented change. And that's more of a leap than a step. It involves a project rather than a simple series of steps. You want to make big improvements, but you can't just do it one step at a time without much planning. Now, the, the duration of your project will vary, but I reckon a 90-day time frame is a useful rule of thumb. Then long term, this is I call this A to X. So these are things which are much more ambitious, open-ended and strategic. So think of this as a quest. You don't necessarily know the outcome, but you're embarking on a journey to find it. Now, quests are exciting. They're groundbreaking. They're often inspiring. So they're the things that often get the most attention. But the other time frames are just as important if you want to make measurable progress that builds momentum. Now, don't ignore the quest entirely, especially in uncertain times. It's not essential, but if you can find a quest and rally your team around it, it gives them a compelling future vision, and that motivates them to push through challenges and obstacles to get to the outcome, even if they don't exactly know what the outcome will look like. Next, give the man a fish. I'm sure you know that old saying, right? Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. Now, you may like that one, or there's some variations of it, which I kind of like, even though they're a little bit cynical. I like give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and he starves for a lifetime. And there's another one that I saw some years ago that said, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him how to use the internet and he'll never bother you again. And another one is give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach him how to fish and you lose a steady customer. Okay, so that's a little bit cynical, but... Go back to the original one, teach him how to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Now, there's a lot to like in this idea, but it's not always appropriate. 
In a stable environment, when you've got the time to teach people how to fish, this is a good idea, even if it takes more time and effort to teach them how to fish than to give them a fish. What you're doing is you're investing in their education because it'll repay itself many times over in the long term. And of course, that's the point of that old saying. But when you've got an uncertain, volatile and fast-changing environment, you don't always have that luxury. When the external environment is changing really quickly, your team members are too stressed and anxious to learn fishing, and you're all doing everything you can just to survive. So in a crisis, postpone the fishing lessons and give them a fish now. It satisfies their immediate hunger, it solves an immediate problem, and it helps them until they're ready to learn fishing. Now, of course, this isn't an ideal long-term solution, but it might be exactly what's required in a crisis. And this only becomes a problem if you take this to the extreme. So if you're lurching from one crisis to the next, forever handing out fish, because you've never made the time to teach them how to fish. So as you work through your priorities, think about which of them are give a fish items. So these are the urgent short-term priorities and which others fall into the teach them how to fish basket. So they're less urgent but they're important in the longer term. Now you'll find that some items fall into both groups and that's completely appropriate. You give them a fish now and set aside time later to teach them how to fish. As with everything else in the crisis, Different people respond differently and they need different things. Some really need you to give them a fish. Others are eager to start learn fishing and others fall somewhere in between. So work with each of your team members to figure out what they need right now. Next, solve their problems. And of course, the pandemic caused a major disruption to many businesses, many industries. And one that was particularly hard hit was the hospitality industry. Many restaurants and cafes and hotels had their biggest downturn ever. Let me tell you about one hotel, the Start Hotel in Sweden, that was also affected badly, but found a way to generate revenue by, by doing something innovative. So the manager of the Start Hotel saw a problem and an opportunity. The problem was because of the fear of the virus, people weren't traveling. So his hotel rooms, like hotel rooms everywhere, were pretty much empty. The opportunity was that he saw that there were people who wanted to go out to eat, but they wanted to do it safely. So he found a way to generate revenue by turning his hotel rooms into private dining rooms. So if you had a small group for anywhere from two people up to 12 people, you could book a hotel room at the Start Hotel. You would go there, you would order from the fancy restaurant downstairs, and you could enjoy a safe dining experience. Now, there's a really clever idea, right? And here's a simple but important principle that made this innovation work. It solved a customer's problem. See, the Start Hotel manager realized that his customers had changed. And what they now valued, more than luxury accommodation, was a safe dining environment. And because of that insight, he saw the opportunity to repurpose that underutilized asset that he had to solve a different problem. So when you're looking through your priority list, figure out which are the ones that are more likely to solve customer problems and, and give more weight to those items. And keep in mind that we're using the term customer loosely. It's not only external customers, but it could be other stakeholders as well for your team and for your organization. Now, it's easy to overlook this concept. When you're in normal, more stable times, it's easy to spend all your time on the internal things, things like your products, your services, your processes, your systems, your IT infrastructure, your supply chain, employee engagement, and your HR policies. 
Now, all of these matter, don't get me wrong, but only if they ultimately support you in solving your customers' problems and helping them achieve their goals. In an uncertain environment, this is even more important because you'll have even more options to consider. So use this principle to guide you when you're setting your priorities. When you're choosing between two options, if all other things are equal, prioritize the one that's more likely to solve a customer's problem. I think even if all other things aren't equal, favor that option. Of course, you treat this as a guideline. It's not necessarily a hard and fast rule. Sometimes you do need to prioritize the less customer-oriented option because you need to fix an urgent problem or tackle an important internal issue or do some deep work to create the foundation for a better organization. But if you make this choice, make it an intentional choice. Finally, when we're talking about priority, ask your team. In the 1990s, Les McEwen, who is the owner of a chain of Pizza Hut restaurants in Ireland, was experimenting with some new technology. He'd got these handheld devices so that waiters could take orders using these devices. This, this was the days before iPads. Now, this was more efficient than taking handwritten orders and then delivering them to the kitchen, but that efficiency caused a problem. See, if a customer changed their mind after the waiter submitted the order, the kitchen staff had to start all over again. And that meant that there was more food wasted. Now, McEwen tried everything he could to solve the problem, but he couldn't find a workable solution. And eventually, he'd given up. And he was announcing this to his staff at, at a team meeting. And one of his staff members suggested, why don't we ask the customers to hit the send button? Now, that was a really simple idea, but it solved the problem. Customers were excited to use this new technology and they knew their order was being processed and they kind of understood that when they pressed a the button, that was the final decision. Now, McEwen was lucky, but you don't have to rely on luck. Regularly, ask your team members for their input and genuinely listen to their ideas. Part of your role is to shield your team members from problems, especially in times of crisis. But you don't always have to do that. So be careful about protecting them from everything. And often the perspective that they bring, which is a unique perspective based on their experience and their expertise, can generate a really innovative solution. So as you identify possibilities and set priorities, use your judgment in deciding who to ask for help. Sometimes it is appropriate to rely on the usual suspects, you know, your, your peers, your manager, industry experts, outside consultants, but also consider how to engage your own team members. Ask for their input at team meetings, post notes on your intranet, and selectively approach people individually. And don't only focus on the most experienced or the most senior people on your team. By all means, ask them, but also ask others for their input. As Les McEwen discovered, the best ideas sometimes come from the more junior people because they do bring an entirely different perspective. They have very different experiences, both inside and outside the organization. And sometimes they just engage more directly with customers so they know what customers want. So that's a quick journey into creating clarity. Remember the three parts? It's about reality, which is what is. It's about possibility, what could be. And it's about priority, what matters. Remember, your goal is not to provide certainty and safety because nobody can do that. But you can provide clarity to your team so you can act with confidence even in an uncertain future. 
I hope you enjoyed that and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life. And if you did get some value from it, please share the love by reviewing and rating it in the place that you get your podcasts. That really does help to promote it to other people as well. And if you want to engage with me to go deeper with these ideas, let's talk. Especially now as we're all trying to navigate and lead our way through this time of great uncertainty, it's more important than ever before to be able to offer clarity and confidence so that we can really be fit for the future. I offer conference keynote presentations both online and in person, workshops and masterclasses, mentoring and coaching. And you can find out more at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, you can also find my blog, my newsletter, more episodes from this podcast and some public online presentations. And these are all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team and, of course, yourself as well. Stay safe and healthy and I'll see you in the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.